Hi there. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of livehealthy.ae, and this is the livehealthy.ae podcast. Each week, we will interview leaders in the UAE's health and wellness community, and we'll explore topics you read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women. And now it's time to meet this week's guest. So today on the livehealthy.ae podcast, we have Dr. Nasser Al-Jafari returning. Thank you. You came on in the early days of uh, coronavirus. He actually helped me record the podcast because I didn't know <laughs> I wasn't working Zoom very well then, which is hard to imagine, but that it was the early days. So um, he's from the DNA Center in Dubai and always great to talk to you. And um, you were just saying to me that you're busier, you're busier than ever. Why do you, why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I, uh, first of all, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure to, to be here. Um, hopefully, we'll get to a point in the not-too-distant future where we can actually sit face-to-face without masks on, um, but it's nice to get it off for a short period of time. Uh, I, I, I've thought about this, and um, I, I think it's a combination of reasons, and we were talking a little bit about this earlier on. Uh, if there's any kind of silver lining to COVID, uh, it has I think, made people a bit more, I was going to use the word paranoid, but that has negative connotations. I think just more aware of their health. Uh, and at, at the same time, people now, I think with flexible uh, working, even you know, those who are going back to the office now have the time to attend to their health. I think you know, life uh, isn't about balance. Um, you know, I think there's three things in life, there's wealth, health, and time. And I think a lot of us probably just put too much into generating wealth at the expense of health and time. And I think there's a paradigm shift. How long it will last for, uh, I don't know. I, I hope it's a permanent shift. Um, so, yeah, I think COVID was interesting in that it, it, it's, it picked out, unfortunately, a lot of people who perceived that they were well um, because they weren't sick in it traditional sense, and I know we've spoken about this before, but people realize that it's not good enough not being sick. Uh, you need to actually be in more optimal health. So where prevention in particular, which is what I, I do and uh, used to just take a, a back seat and wasn't really prioritized, uh, I think we're seeing more of a, a drive and, and focus on that. And I think because we also focus on more of a, uh, an integrative uh, lifestyle approach, that seems to appeal to uh, a lot of people. So are they coming to you and saying, look, I just want to make sure that I'm as healthy as I can be. I like, are they coming to you and get everything? What are, the, what are they doing? What are they getting tested? There's different groups of people. You, you, you're always going to have those, uh, that sort of niche where, yeah, it's just a case of like, well, I feel all right. No specific problem, but I, I want to feel great. Uh, is there anything I can I kind of optimize? Um, I'm, I'm not reporting anything with respect to symptoms, but let's look a bit, a bit deeper. And then there's other people who probably have suffered with a variety of symptoms that they probably just uh, put to the back of their mind, it may, whether it be kind of a lack of energy, sleep issues, a bit of bloating. Um, I, I think also quarantine itself has brought out and amplified a lot of these issues. So I always kind of take an ancestral view of uh, health and 
you know, one of the things I've said, always say is that we live like caged animals. Uh, and we see, you know, in zoos how, you know, animals who live in a zoo just aren't as well as those who are roaming free in, 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 wild, in the wild. Um, quarantine's just amplified that. And so there's been this huge think, disruption with people's circadian rhythms. A lot of our uh, genetics is tied to this uh, day-night rhythm. It's how, how we evolved. So there's been you know, hormonal disruption. Uh, people not just haven't been going outside. They've been on their screens a lot more. Uh, we haven't been accountable for getting up in the morning to go to the office. So people have been going to bed later. Invariably, if you sat on your couch killing time watching Netflix, your lounge is next to the kitchen, you're going to start grazing. So I'm not saying everyone has adopted those patterns. There's been an interesting set of people who actually, because they aren't working as much, the rebalance has shifted towards time. So they have the time to eat healthily, uh, train. So it's, I think people have fallen into two, two categories. Um, but yeah, there's those who just want to health optimize and those who have started to prioritize their symptoms that have probably been there for a while. You mentioned bloating and I am seeing bloating everywhere. I have it myself. I, I saw you working with Danae uh, Mercer, who writes for us, and she was coming to you about bloating. I'm just hearing so much about it. Like, what is going on with, with the bloating? I mean, obviously, if you eat a big, varied meal, and, you know, obviously, it's, diet has a lot to do with bloating, but it just seems that it's such a problem now. It's a huge issue. And um, unfortunately, there's a, a sort of whole set of people whereby they don't really get a proper diagnosis traditionally and will often get brushed off with the label of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. I mean, it's near enough every other person who seems to be suffering with IBS. Unfortunately, I mean, IBS is really just a description of a set of symptoms. It's essentially telling you that you have bloating, a change in your bowel habits or discomfort on most days of the month. Um, in reality, that's you know, no one's really actually looking at the kind of root cause. And Quite clearly, from you know the people that I'm seeing and anecdotally treating, um, these are what we call functional uh, gut disorders. So there isn't anything anatomically wrong with the gut. So you will see a tr traditional sort of allopathic doctor who will do a scope and do your traditional tests, and they will look normal. And unfortunately, because we're traditionally trained to pick up 20th, 20th century disease, and we're now dealing with a 21st century problem, which actually as a result of poor eating habits um, and it comes down to a lot of our food supply it's become adulterated you know everything is well certainly the cornerstone of most people's diets is gmo our bodies just don't recognize it uh, in the last 10 15 years we've also started to realize how important our microbiome is um we're really in the early stages of the evolution of understanding how um key it is but we know that it is uh, in terms of sort of regulating a lot of the rest of your health, your immune function, your neurological function, uh, your hormonal levels. And so these are things that traditionally we haven't been trained to pick up on or have the sophistication of testing to, to analyze. Fortunately, I'm in a space where we have got access to these tests and we've been applying them for a number of years uh, very successfully along with lifestyle plans. Uh, I think coming back to your, your question of what, where is it all coming from, we've highlighted the nutritional uh, issues. I think as well as the constituents of, of what we're eating, I think our eating patterns have changed. We've got a lot more of a nocturnal 
lifestyle. We've been told to eat smaller amounts more frequently, which is not really the truth. Um, we also, at the same time, if, you know, everyone focuses on gut-centric causes or interventions. Huge amount comes down to stress. So, you know, uh, you can put someone the best nutrition in the world, give them some certain protocols with supplements, but if you don't sort out the head space, uh, along with sleep uh, as well, these, are, these, are, these underpin the rest of your, your health. So I think it, it's, it's a combination of all these and, and more so as we were highlighting during uh, COVID. So complicated. And we're, Live Healthy is focusing a lot on live, uh, immunity now moving forward. And so when your gut is, is in this sort, sort of state, um, how does that impact your immunity? Well, so you'll, you'll hear people talking historically about how a significant proportion of your immune system is in your, your gut. And, you know, it's our major, one of our major interfaces with the external environment. So simply put, if we, we have the wrong bacteria there, which isn't able to re regulate the immune system because it just has a regulatory role, at the same time, you know, the protective mucosa um, is disrupted. Uh, you will have heard of a term leaky gut, which effectively describes an increased gut permeability, which leads to increased exposure of the immune system to a lot of these we call antigens, which are foreign proteins, which the immune system starts to uh, attack. And this just increases a uh, inflammatory load on the immune system and it becomes dysregulated. And this is one of the root causes of you know, autoimmunity and, and another condition we're seeing a huge amount of, certainly in the latter part of my career so far, is booms in thyroid disease, Hashimoto's, uh, other uh, like fatigue and things like fibromyalgia and, and problems. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, again, uh, you know, chronic fatigue gets, gets kind of uh, this umbrella term when in reality, again, there could be just issues uh, that, that people haven't really found or, or the underlying causes. And often it could be anything from, you know, a Lyme infection or toxicity. I mean, you know, I've got a recent client who, suffering with really severe mold toxicity, which, you know, no one would have ever picked up in a traditional system. And, you know, we have only really got to you know, the journey of solving it and, and when she moved out of her apartment and is having to do really intensive um, protocols to really rid her of this toxicity. So, yeah, it's a very interesting space. I, I think, you know, the human mind likes simple explanations for things. And when we don't know that they really understand the disease, we tend to sort of block it out and, and, and continue with our traditional approach. It's just kind of almost like a defensive mechanism. Um, but I, I think another important point to make is that, you know, a lot of the you know, evolution in healthcare takes a good number of years before it infiltrates the mainstream, um, mainstream practice. I wanted to say that to you because I heard a podcast the other day and Dr. Jeffrey Rediger, who wrote um, The Life-Changing Science of Spontaneous Healing. So it was all about people who have cancer and, and heal. And one thing he said was that 88% of the spontaneous healers had switched to a vegetarian diet, which I thought was an interesting stat. But he said something that blew my mind, that the average scientific advancement takes 30 years to get to the doctor's office. Yeah, I've heard heard similar figures. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very believable, and it's frustrating when people turn around to me and say, "Whatever you're doing isn't scientifically based." Yeah. Okay, you don't have huge scale double blind randomized control trials, which you're never going to get because it's not pharmaceutically sponsored. 
the, 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 the approach, though, is grounded in science. Science exists, it's just not been fed to people, and people just don't take the time out to educate themselves, particularly when it doesn't fit into that traditional model of how they're delivering care. But I, I think you're essentially also touching on the power of the mind. And this is a perfect example of what we've just spoken about as well. I mean, people call it placebo. I mean, which just, again, in itself has negative connotations. It just kind of means, well, there's no explanation for it. It must be fake or it's just not real. It's not down to the treatment. But we should actually be looking at placebo as something to rule in. And ultimately, you know, I've delved quite deeply into this. And I think we, the way we understand science and biology uh, at the moment is exactly that. It's along biological lines, but health is happening on a kind of quantum sub-anatomic level, and it is about energy, forces, frequencies. We are electrically charged. Our cells vibrate. All sorts of factors affect this, including emotion, um, sound, which is why all these alternative therapies, they, they work. You know, people will say they've not been proven in science. Well, they have on, on the, on the, Basic scientific level, it has been. Energy, just, is, energy has been very well studied in science. Yeah, 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 yeah completely. And, and it was amazing, actually. I, I, I saw, I was looking online a few days ago, I saw that I, IKEA did an experiment in the UAE. And okay, you know, it's not solid science, but they, they had two plants, uh, exactly the same under, you know, as controlled the conditions as they could have them. And one plant was exposed to negative emotions I think they, would, they put it in a school. And the other plant was exposed to positive emotions, and the negative emotion plant wilted, and the, the positive emotion plant uh, flourished. And there's many of these uh, small-scale experiments that have been done across cultures, which people traditionally will ridicule, but it's 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 demonstrating exactly that. Um, and you know, it's it, there's only some very few smart people around the world, a lot smarter than me, that have known about this for years. So, okay, so they've been doing it for centuries, but never knew what the, the underlying science was. But there's people who've worked it out. And it's something that I've only really started to grasp in the last sort of couple of years, and it's fascinating. It's amazing. And I think people, when they say science, that's a way people are using, well, show me the science. as It's a, it's a discrediting, it's just a way to discredit all of these yeah. therapies. But I think you touched on what I think people don't realize is all of science is backed by the pharmaceutical industry. Like, you don't really know when, like, sure, there's a randomized double control, like, you know, all the proper things are in place for the study, but the money for the study is coming. Yeah, and, and there's been books that have been written on yes, this. I have, I have pharma. I can't remember the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I'm sure if most people chose to sort of read these books, they would they, they'd find it out. But, you know, a lot of it just gets brushed under the carpet. And, you know, there's very powerful, wealthy lobbyists that will push that sort of uh, agenda. You've got to persist in your own health and go and check out what you can get done. I'm curious about, because when I hear stories that are the same over and over, again, it's not science, but I've interviewed so many people who have had autoimmune disorders. And they, their stories are all very similar. You know, they, first of all, the fact that the body, the argument that the body starts attacking itself seems strange to me, right? Like you, we're sort of like a ecosystem here. What's, what causes the body to start attacking itself? But they always, the, the, I've probably interviewed eight or 10 people over the years with autoimmune that have come out of them 
And many times their story includes an element of changing their life, changing the way that they live, changing their job and their work, um, like finding purpose, in addition to doing all the healthcare things to sort themselves out. I just wondered if you, I don't know, this autoimmune disorder thing that that is so common now is sort of mind boggling. Do you have any insight into that? Yeah, and, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I just understand it sort of simply. Uh, the way I see it is that, uh, yes, the immune system is not regulating itself very well because of so many foreign uh, insults. Um, again, I think a large part of it is uh, even from a young age when the immune system and neurological system is developing, your microbiome, microbiome is, is key in that, in, that, in that regulatory space. There's been an argument that, you know, if you look at the vaccine kind of schedule now, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come to talk about this, um, it's training the immune system in a, in a, in a particular in a particular way. So this is potentially uh, leading to a sort of dysregulation later in life. I'm not saying that these concepts have been proven, but the, you know, the, the, the theories, and I think in reality, is probably a combination of everything just the environment that we're growing up in, this hygiene bubble that also gets referred to, uh, isn't allowing our immune systems to train at the same time. You know, we have got a, a lot more denser vaccine schedule than we did even a generation ago. Um, you know, our nutrition is poorer. There's higher levels of stress. I think it's in reality a whole range of things. Um, but what I do know is that the, the approach of you've got autoimmunity, you've got it for the rest of your life, and we can only manage the symptoms isn't true because as you've experienced with the people that you've spoken to and I, I you know I have with the caseload of clients that I have from inflammatory bowel disease to the thyroid issues people are able to manage it yes they will always have that predisposition and it takes a lot of willpower and discipline and change in lifestyle um, but it's it is very achievable you mentioned the hygiene bubble now we have been in the biggest hygiene bubble of all time <laughs> yeah. what, uh, you know for months now um just what is the hygiene bubble and, and how do we how do we deal with it how do we keep our immune system strong like how would it impact us i i i think it just it comes down to when you know a number of generations ago we were living outside uh we were you know surrounded by dirt uh, animals probably indirectly consumed species and soil and this this is how we evolved to live and it actually forms probably an important part of the development and regulation of our immune system from a, a young age so now you have children who are born in the sterility of a hospital often via c-section often needing alternative forms of uh, feeding um, uh, again, is all leading to uh, an immune system which probably isn't how it, it should be, which is uh, leading people exposed to infections that their immunity wasn't or immune system wasn't trained to do, and potentially also le- leaving them exposed to uh, conditions like cancer uh, later in, in life. Because again, cancer, whilst there's a, a multitude of factors that lead to cancer, it is an immune system issue. Um, so yeah, I think again, that's been amplified recently with all the kind of hand washing and, and using sanitizers and social distancing. I mean, there's a dark side to it all, um, in the, you know, 
we're, we're washing away a lot of the natural bacteria that we probably should ingest. We're social distancing, which, okay, stops the physical transmission of COVID, but, you know, we're missing out on that physical contact, which has been demonstrated again in a number of studies um, where, you know, this has a negative impact on the immune system, which has been quantified. Um, you know, we are designed to be in groups, in, in communities, and to have touch. What about what about just getting dirty, like going, putting your feet in the grass, digging in plants? Like, are, does that help? Does that help mitigate? Again, I, 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 we're just going off kind of the, 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 the it makes sense. Yeah. You, you know, it's, I, I'm not quite sure whether it's something that's particularly been studied, again, for the reasons we mentioned, but, it, it, you know, uh, there's definitely been studies where they've looked at societies where they've looked at the microbiome of families living a more traditional lifestyle versus those living a more sterile lifestyle, and there is a reduced diversity in the microbiome of those in a sterile environment. And we do know, again, observationally, that your health does seem to correlate with the diversity of the microbiome. So how would you recommend someone boost the diversity of their microbiome? I mean, the low-hanging fruit is uh, improving nutrition and, and, and you know, improving the uh, whole food diversity of that nutrition, very much sort of plant, plant-based. Um, and also, you know, not, not, not neglecting the other sort of lifestyle factors of stress and sleep, which we know uh, impact not just on the diversity or, or you know, the quality of your microbiome, but also the permeability um, of your gut. And then... Also, yes, coming back to the sort of things we were speaking about, going outside in in nature. I mean, I know I'm quite cognizant about having my children sort of playing outside, and I'm not that bothered about them playing in mud and probably putting it in their mouth because invariably kids of a certain age are always putting things in their mouth. And I think it's just, it is the normal part of our development. And people for generations before us have been living like that with, with no issues whatsoever. So... The next thing I wanted to ask you about is vitamin D. So sunlight, supplementation. Um, a study passed by me on social media yesterday, and I can't find it. Um, it's It was about COVID patients, though, and it was about um, admissions to ICU, and it was high-dose vitamin D, um, and it was out of the Nordic company, a country, and it was about high-dose high vitamin D and how that had reduced ICU admissions um, in certain populations, which was interesting. It's obviously... a short-term study and I'm sure there's more research to be done but what about vitamin d how can we get it from sun and if we're if supplementing should you see a doctor can you just sort of walk us through that yeah I mean it's interesting because vitamin d wasn't really spoken about or there was very little attention on it probably it started to come to light more at the start of my career about 15 20 years ago 15 20 years ago and it almost became people just saw it as well as a bit sort of trendy but there's plenty of studies now that have linked observationally kind of levels of vitamin D and chronic chronic disease and premature mortality. And quite rightly, during COVID, there was a theory that people from the BME um, population were being taken down um, disproportionately. And one of the theories was because of lower um, vitamin D levels, um, which is why there's a lot of studies going on now applying vitamin D supplementation. You know, it's something that we've been speaking about and applying to our clients for a number of years. Uh, most of my clients, if not all, are on vitamin D just by virtue of the fact that none of us are 
outside because the main source of vitamin D is from the metabolism of the UV light. Um, we're just not getting that exposure. There are some people genetically who also just aren't able to metabolize vitamin D orally, so do require higher levels of supplementation. So, yeah, I, I do think it's something that should be tracked under the, the, the uh, supervision of a physician just because whilst it's difficult to get to toxic levels, I, I have seen people who have gone off, off the scale. That being said, people do tend to unsupplement. So, and I think a lot of this comes down to the cutoff points and the reference ranges. Um, again, I can't remember the exact uh, units of measurement, but 30 is, I think it's nanograms per mil, seems to be the cutoff point for normal. When really, again, the observational studies show that you're, you're optimally protected over 50, level of 50 or 60. So it's not good enough just to be at the lower end of normal. I've often wondered, though, the whole vitamin D thing, whether it's just a proxy for light, uh, light exposure and UV light exposure, if that makes sense. So whilst uh, you know people think that it's just vitamin D uh, that it's leading to a health improvement in people's health, I think... I don't think that vitamin D is a substitute for being exposed to UV light. And I think to put it in a different way, coming back to what we were saying about us being uh, charged and on a kind of looking at health on a quantum level, I think the diversity and the range of effects that UV light has on us from a health perspective, I think just vitamin D is one aspect of that. I'm not saying that vitamin D by itself um, doesn't have immeasurable health um, impacts. I don't think people can substitute for being exposed to UV light. And again, it makes sense because we were wandering around this planet with no clothes on, exposed to UV light. There's no sense. Now we're, we're just not getting it. Yeah. We didn't have any so, sunblock then. No, no, no. Sunblock exactly. Stops. Sunblock stops you from absorbing vitamin D, right? And so I think it's exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 um it's interesting, is it? That skin cancer's gone through the roof when at the same time we you know started using sunscreen. Um, yeah, it blocks UV light, UVB, which is the beneficial light, uh, less so uh, UVA light, which is the cancer-forming light. Although the, the, some of the sunscreens are, you know, a lot better than others. Uh, at the same time, I think what it's done is it's made people kind of stay in the sun longer, so they're more likely to burn. There's a big difference between healthy sun exposure and, and burning, and we all need healthy sun exposure. To you tell your patients to get there. Exactly. So it's almost like a hierarchy of interventions. So if they can go outside and get healthy sun exposure without sun block and then bring themselves out in the, into the shade, then that, that is the best way to do it. Of course, that's not always practical, but I do try and advise people to get some sun exposure without sunscreen on. Um, and then if, if that's just not achievable for them, then yes, supplement in vitamin D. Yeah. Okay. We have quite a lot of sunshine here. And it's getting cooler, so we should be able to get like 10 minutes a day. Well, and paradoxically, as you know, I mean, we, we, we see far lower vitamin D levels because it is almost so hot and everything. So I can. Yeah. I gave my father a talking to because during COVID, he said he was, I, he said, I'm, I haven't gone outside in three weeks. I, I take vitamin D. And I was like, come on, you have to go outside. You can go in the backyard. This is ridiculous. You can't take a pill. <laughs> and, 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 and if you look back at some of the historical sort of practices, uh, I think it's, you know around 100 years ago when clients, or oh, sorry, patients were in uh, hospitals with infectious diseases, they used to wheel them out in the sun by the sea. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, a lot of these practices we're talking about, they're not new. They've been been happening for, across the centuries. It's just now we're applying the science.
Yeah. And, and also the sea is very healing as well. If you can get just to see her. Okay. So I think the topic that's on a lot of people's minds is the fact that, I mean, the inevitability that there's going to be a vaccine for COVID sooner, later, we don't know. I mean, it seems inconceivable that it would be this year, but it seems that it's pretty likely that we're going to be taking a vaccine to move freely in the world again. And, you know, none of us are anti-vaxxers, but there is, you know, there, 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 it is documented that, especially with our environmental and toxic load, that vaccines can lead to problems in people who are more vulnerable. So I'm just, for those of us who are a little bit worried about taking a vaccine, because we are worried about that, sort of what's your take on that? How would you, how would we prepare our bodies to Yeah, I mean, I I, I think, first of all, I'm no COVID uh, expert, but what I do know is there's a lot of unknowns still about how, uh, whether there's any memory in the immune system, whether there's going to be long-lasting immunity against COVID, whether this is a one-off vaccine, whether we're going to need recurrent vaccines like the seasonal flu. Even the world's experts aren't sure yet. Um, and I'm sure it's something where the, the knowledge is still obviously evolving the more cases we have and the further along they get with sort of the phases and, and trials that they're, they're doing. I think the important thing is just making sure that your body is in a healthy uh, state. Um, I mean, when you're giving a vaccine, you're obviously, again, putting an acute load on the immune system. I mean, you're either using an extracted uh, inactive uh, particle, which acts as an antigen, stimulate the antibodies, uh, or you're using a sort of a less virulent live strain of the bacteria or virus. Um, and yeah, there may be some people, again, uh, this is just anecdotal, but there may be some people whereby they have a level of dysregulation or inflammatory load on the immune system, uh, whereby you know a vaccine potentially could add to that uh, load and, and, and tip them over the edge. Uh, I think it's feasible. Um, so, yeah, it comes back to just making sure that your body's in a good state. And it's it's about clean nutrition, uh, avoiding as much as possible sort of GMO food. There's been a lot spoken about kind of uh, antibiotics being used in, in feeds and heavy metal feeds, uh, coming in, in, in animal feeds, etc. So trying to eat as whole food, plant-based, non-GMO. And... Uh, again, just just reducing levels of stress, optimizing sleep, um, you know, exercising regularly, not under-exercising, not over-exercising, because again, there's a lot of people who sometimes go from doing nothing sedentary to six hit sessions a week. Um, that's actually probably going to have far more of a detrimental effect on your adrenals, on your immune system. Um, really? So. And, 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 wow. uh, so uh, balance. It's all. It's a, it's about balance, and it's the same. I think lifestyle factors that we we all, we preach generally. So the things that will protect you um, and keep you healthy from COVID are the things. It's the same things we we exactly the same things we we were ultimately sort of telling people that will you know prevent them from cardiovascular disease, you know, reducing chances of cancer, um, type two diabetes. It's you know. Quite interesting because I, people like to overcomplicate it, but on paper it's, it's pretty simple. Unfortunately, the the wrong advice is often outed. Um, but put it, you know, putting it into practice is often often the more difficult thing because again, look at the supply 
of our, you know, our food supply, look at kind of the fact that people don't have the time, so we're ordering Deliveroo. Um, there's a lot of stress, particularly not just with work, but what's going on in the world, which leads to sleep disruption. So solutions on paper are very easy, but putting it into action option you know, is very... I'm amazed at how many health, uh, how many scientific studies that I read and report on that they'll say... Like, you know, for example, for dementia, which women have a much higher risk for dementia than men, and that they'll always say in these studies, osteoporosis, they'll always say one of the ways that you can mitigate this is by lifestyle changes. They always say that in the in the study when they're studying drugs and stuff like that. I always think it's interesting. It, all, it seems like in almost everything that can happen to you, you have such a role um, to play. Well, well, and, 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 but it, unfortunately, I only gets that one sentence. Yeah, it's one sentence. <laughs> it's doc yeah. sentence that they yeah. throw in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, That's... any cool things you're using just to wrap up? Uh, you always have the coolest little gadgets and stuff. So, I wondered, or just uh, something you've added to your life? Yeah, no, I, I, nothing new in terms of sort of gadgets. One thing we are doing a lot of now is uh, something called uh, NAD, which is uh, a compound which we're uh, infusing, which is a little bit of a darling of the anti-aging world right right now. Um, just to give you a whistle-stop tour as you get older, NAD levels fall. What is uh, and, and it? Can you just tell us what it is? Uh, so it's 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 almost like your cells uh, currency. So you have NAD in your cells, which uh, your mitochondria are dependent on DNA repair, uh, gene gene expression, uh, your your ability to mitigate and uh, oxidation and oxidative stress. Um, and so it's very far far reaching, and it, it is a compound which has been studied in a multitude of, of species, and there's, there's currently a lot of trials going on in humans. The most famous one, which was done by Professor Sinclair in Harvard, where he showed that mice who were given precursors to NAD uh, were, were just exercising a lot younger and, and, and had an increase in our, in our lifespan. So whilst it's kind of experimental right now, it's being utilized for longevity. We're applying it to um, mitigating symptoms and signs of Alzheimer's and, and dementia, uh, helping people with uh, reversing type 2 diabetes. So this is a kind of like exciting space right now um, that we're, we're, we're currently currently. Okay, wow, that's exciting. I have some in my I have some in my cupboard, but sometimes in your cupboard, yeah. and then I forget. You know, I get them and then I'm taking them and I forget. Like I know I've seen them a bunch of times that it, it's okay to buy, but it's hard. You can only take so many of these things. Do you, do you guys do that, uh, Nat? In um, the IV or do you do it? Uh, is it orally? IV. IV. IV, IV, yeah. And we recommend that people take it orally, sort of in between. Amazing. The, the okay. IVs. Yeah. yeah. Here's your hot tip. That's being studied now. It's so always so great to talk to you. I always feel healthy around there. Power of the mind. Yeah, that's true. You're a placebo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. At least it works. At least something works. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Absolute yeah. pleasure. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Take care. Bye bye, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the livehealthy.ae podcast.